Welcome to the Fantasy NASCAR Podcast. I am Pierce Dietrich. You can follow me on Twitter at Race for the Prize, and you can also hop on over to RaceForThePrize.com. That's where you'll find information about getting access to the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet projections, practice data, results, advanced metrics, optimizer tool, mass entry tool, you name it. 30 bucks a month of February. I think it's a very fair price for all the tools that you'll get. PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, the information is on the screen. Today we're going to talk some L.A. Clash. And we're going to look at the runs in L.A. Clash. Another day down in the dungeon here. It's not really a dungeon. I've cleaned up the basement a little bit. So I'm recording here on a Saturday afternoon. I'm going to finish this up, hop on the couch, and watch some Rolex 24. But first, I would serve you, the people, the loyal listener. Hit that like. Hit that subscribe. Share the podcast. Share the spreadsheet information. Let everybody else know I'm back. So what we're looking at with the data is how well drivers go throughout their runs. And as I mentioned in the LA Live video, I don't believe it's a wreck fest. I think there's going to be a significant amount of runs in this race. And in those significant racing segments, we will have drivers that are good either move forward or hold position. And the drivers that are predictably not so good via practice data or heat lap races will fall backwards. Some drivers will be misfortunate, and there's always, it doesn't matter what the race is, the track, there it is, fast cars can get into problems and spin out. And even though, you know, that can happen, we also have fast cars that spin out that are able to recuperate and recover. And Kyle Busch is one of those drivers who, on lap 86, falls all the way back to 25th because of carnage, but then is able to regroup, regroup, regroup and finish third. If you get enough green flag stretches, then we can have cars that are good in practice and cars that are good in heat races and drivers that have good short flat track history that are able to get their way to the top or at least just stay at the top. And that's predictable. And those are daily fantasy contests worth playing. Yes, some other good drivers may get finishes they don't deserve. That happens at every track. That doesn't mean I can't play this event because of that. So today, let's look at the data. You know that I'm always just messing around, trying to make the sheets better, trying to create a better product for you. And one of the things I've done is broke down the runs. So we get a 16-flag green flag run to begin the race. Not bad for a short flat track. And we can see the gains that they can make here. And then we've got section B. I've got section C, which is 24 through laps 42. Laps 43 through 73 is section D at 30 flag. 30 green flag run. That's impressive. You you look at that part of the race and you can really get an idea of who can drive this track, who cannot drive this track. Uh, Then we have the cautions that happen at the beginning of the second half of the race. But then things kind of clear out. We get another run here. Last 86 through 106. That's 20 green flag laps. That's a good, another good, it's another good example uh, a, a portion to analyze to see who's running well. And you can go through every single lap to see where they go up and where they go down. Or you can just simply look at this column, which says E, and you can see that from laps 87 through 105, Martin Tricks Jr. gained one spot. Now you might be saying, that's not good. Hold on. We'll explain that. We've got to make sure that we temper our expectations given the running position of a specific car before we just look at big number versus small number. We have to provide context, and we'll do that in a second. And then we've got run F, which is 114 through 140. That's over 30 
of that. It's almost 30 green flag laps. Impressive. A decent little run here from 144 to the finish to close her out. And then you can see I've got all the columns set. So run A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. You can see the sum. Trix only gains three spots, but he could only gain three spots. He started near the front. So he didn't pass a lot of cars. And you'll say, well, that doesn't mean he's not a good driver. No, he started in the front. He can't pass a lot of drivers. Kyle Busch can gain spots. Austin Dillon could gain spots because they're starting further back. So you don't want to just look at the sum total of positives here and say, oh, Kyle Busch and Austin Dillon were better than Truex. No, that's not the way to look at it at all. That's just there to show you, to give an idea. This is just here to give you an idea of the gains, but you always have to put it in context to where they're running. If you're, A, running in the top five, it's harder to gain spots. B, if you're running in the top five, there's only so many spots that you can get. So your numbers are going to be smaller. What we really want to look at to get a more, not want to say generalized, but a better perspective of whether a driver is running well, is to just look at positive versus negative runs, which you can see right here. On five of Truex's runs, he either held or gained positions. There were six green flag runs, and only on one of those runs did he lose a spot. That is a better measure than just looking at the raw total number of passes that you made. Every time we drop the green flag on each run, did you move forward? Did you hold your position, or did you fall back? And we can see that Austin Dillon finished second. And you know why Austin Dillon finished second? He never had a negative run. That is a very strong performance. You can ignore that he grabbed 10 spots. That's great. That's awesome. He had the opportunity to grab a lot of spots. Truex never had that opportunity. But Dylan just did not have a bad run. That's impressive. And then we can go a step further if you want to uh, raise the bar a little bit and say, okay, well, how many times did you pass two or more cars? How many times did you lose two or more spots? Obviously, he didn't lose two or more spots any, but he had two really good runs where he grabbed a couple spots. Bush had a few more negatives, but you look at his positive double-digit runs, he had three runs where he gained two spots. You go all the way down here to Kevin Hart, he had four runs where he got a couple spots. Christopher Bell had a really good race in terms of five positive runs to just one negative run. Three of those five were gains of more than two. The big problem for him is he had one really bad run, which absolutely can happen. One spin, and it's going to hurt your lineups. Let's see where that was. It wasn't even a bad run. It was just he got caught in those cautions on lap 86, and that's what knocked him out. So when we had the, the cautions, it hurt Bell. But if we're just looking at, can this guy get around the track? Does he know what he's doing? Did he have the right car? Absolutely. He did not finish well. His average running position is not going to look great on the stat sheet. But when you break down what he did on specific green flag runs, he was always going forward. He was always making movement. I think he's, he might be a driver that gets overlooked based on just the regular data that's going to be processed, the regular data that's available. His average running position, his, you know, his loop data is not going to look good. His speed's not going to look that great. But if you look at his specific gains on each run and you break it down like I am doing, which I don't think anyone else is doing, 
you're going to see that when we go green, he was always going forward. Very strong. Same thing with Chase Briscoe. Similar situation to Christopher Bell. His overall watered down stats, the stats made most available to the public, the stats that are going to get regurgitated by everyone, aren't going to make him look good. But if you break down the numbers and look specifically at each specific run, you're going to see that, yeah, he was pretty good. Even had a monster run here on F. Now, that seven is often misleading because when you pass seven cars in the back, you don't want to like start doing victory laps. And that goes back to the Truex, looking at the raw numbers. It has to be in context. Truex doesn't have a high number because he can't pass a lot of cars and because he's surrounded by more competitive cars. Often, you, know, you see with Kyle Busch gets this six and eight. Those are, even though some of these eight in run F were good passes against good cars. The six in run E, those were mainly back markers and drivers that weren't really having the best day. And I'd argue that half of the eight weren't the most competitive. But the last four or the last three, those are top ten cars that he is passing. Those are strong moves. Those are strong passes. That's some really good racing by Kyle Busch. So I'll just read through some of these notes. So, again, the notes on the screen, Martin Truex Jr., uh, his numbers aren't that amazing. But, again, what I want you to look at, what I would look at is I'm just looking for people that maintain positions that don't lose spots and gain spots. I don't want negatives. I don't really need to see you having like a Kyle Busch six-pass, eight-pass. Slow and steady wins the race. Methodical movements like Austin Dillon. I mean, look. The data does not lie. That is what he did. He didn't make any mistakes. He stayed the course, always moving forward. Just, you know, how does one eat an elephant one bite at a time approach? And that's what Austin Dillon did, never lost. He did have some, a couple pretty decent runs in Section C and Section F. His teammate, Kyle Busch, also is pretty good. Alex Bowman, you look at his data, like, how did he finish fourth? What in the world? Because he had three positive runs, three negative runs, three of his long runs. He lost more than two spots. He was not very impressive on the green flag. I would go as far as to say he was not good on green flag runs. He never gained more than two spots on a green flag run. And his green flag runs were pretty even. So how the hell did he finish fourth? Well, he's one of the guys that benefited from the chaos in the middle of that race. Look, this is fantasy NASCAR. There's going to be drivers that deserve better, and there's going to be drivers that get what they don't deserve. There are wrecks, there's cautions. And, hey, if you were to circle anyone at a short flat track, Mr. Backdoor himself, Alex Bowman winning at Richmond a couple years ago, winning at Martinsville. <laughs> Look, all that matters is where are you crossing the checkered flag? Now, can he replicate that? I would feel much more comfortable betting on Christopher Bell and Chase Briscoe than I would Alex Bowman, who really backdoored his way into this. Kyle Larson, decent on the runs. Never lost more than a spot. He also had some nice gains uh, during our, a restart wreck. Ryan Priest looked very solid throughout this race. Big moves. So, he, I mean, he, he did basically everything right almost until, you know, one bad run. His one bad run was pretty bad. 
but he had five positive runs, and he also capitalized on some of the restarts. Hamlin got into an issue early, so he fell back. And that's really sometimes all it takes to knock someone out, especially a guy like Denny Hamlin who's just going like, eh, it's exhibition, phone it in. Uh, Justin Haley was good in the 2022 race. Good three runs to the finish, but all were passes on the outside. Look at Haley's. Haley had a strong 2022 race before he got in that wreck with Kyle Larson, where he was up front for most of the race. Uh, in this race, he came on strong at the end, but those numbers look good. Remember, those are passes in the back of the track. Uh, same thing. You know, Again, I will say with Christopher Bell, some of his big gains are a little bit misleading because he's passing some back markers, but he wasn't getting passed by back markers. Uh, Bubba Wallace had a really good race, got dumped by Dylan at the end. Ty Gibbs was running quite well before he got into his wreck. And that was interesting to see. He might be someone that goes overlooked in this event because his overall data is obviously not going to look good. You know, he finished 26th. It's just not that great. But if you look at his lap by lap data, and I know he's got all these laps in the back, but he was moving forward on some of these right here towards the end. He slowly picked them off, kind of went his way. And it's not great, but there might be something there for Mr. Gibbs. Who knows? Got to wait and see. But anyway, this data is at racefortheprize.com if you want to go through it. My main takeaway or suggestion to you is to look at the data and just look at guys who are going positive more often than they were going negative. If you want to look at some of these raw numbers and, and use that to help you uh, go heavier on another driver because of some of the big gains they make during specific runs, that's up to you. But really, I like looking at on the green flag runs, were you able to go forward? And I think overall, looking at this data suggests that it is a predictable race and it's not just a complete wreck fest. Truex wins the race. Five of the six green flag runs, he went forward. Austin Dillon finished his second. He was always going forward. Yeah, there's a couple of outliers here. Bowman and Larson are going to benefit from some of the cautions. But at the same time, Kyle Busch got involved in one of the cautions and was still able to recover. And he was positive, especially when it mattered, finishing with positive runs and big runs to close out the race. That sounds predictable. That sounds like lap by lap and heat race data is going to be significant. You can even go down here a little bit further. Reddick and Priest. Is it perfect data? Is it completely predictable? No, because NASCAR is not completely predictable. We are always going to have races. Where, and I just I feel like I'm beating the dead horse here. But I, I think sometimes, I don't know why it is. Like we forget that like we, we, we accept like wrecks will happen at, at some tracks. And that, you know, some drivers will finish that shouldn't finish where they did. And, and we don't think anything of it. We completely accept that at other racetracks. We, we understand that it's racing and bad things happen. And, you know, some things are unpredictable. Fast car in practice makes a mistake in the race and they don't finish where they're supposed to. Fine. And that can happen at the L.A. Coliseum. But we then take it a step further and say, oh, but because that happened, the L.A. race is unpredictable and not worth playing. You don't do that at any other track, for the most part. 
because some unfortunate event happens at another event doesn't lead you down the road of, well, you can't play at this racetrack because that one time Kevin Harvick had that one thing happen to him and he was fast and he didn't get the finish that he deserved. So this is an unpredictable racetrack. You don't do that. So why are they, are we then going to the LA Clash and saying, well, look, Alex Bowman didn't deserve that. And so this is an unpredictable race. <sighs> yes, there's going to be chaos and carnage. There's going to be bumping and banging. There's going to be unfortunate events, and hopefully you end up on the right side. But we've got to be careful with these generalizations, these broad strokes. I know I'm guilty of it myself. And often in early podcasts when I'm looking at the initial data, but as I dig deeper into it, I'm like, well, hold on. Let's dial that back. Let's get a a more nuanced understanding of what is really going on. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a mess and two of the picks that probably end up in the winning lineup are going to seem strange. But that's always the case. And that's almost always. And that's a good thing. That really is. Because that allows you to differentiate. That allows you to separate. As long as you're not just tailing picks from a YouTube show. If you're tailing picks from a YouTube show, then yeah, you're all going to end up on the wrong two guys. Or if you're lucky, you all end up on the same two guys and split everything. But if you're going through your own data and you're using the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet, you may be able to, you know, swerve a little bit and find those two guys that possibly benefit. Who knows? Anyway, as we close out podcast 631, I believe this is. This might actually be 632. I lose track, obviously, after a long time of doing this. Please go to racefortheprize.com. That's where you can get information about getting access to the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet. You can follow me on Twitter at Race for the Prize. You can go to DK Network, read my NASCAR, my NBA, NFL articles. I get the pleasure of writing up the NFL prop bet for the Super Bowl. And you can imagine right now what the, it's not, no, I mean, not prop bet. I'm sorry, novelty prop bet. Yeah, prop bets. That's pretty regular. But the novelty prop bet is going to be one of the articles that I get to write. And you can you know exactly what I'm going to write. You know what the novelty prop market is going to be if Kansas City wins. And you know I'm going to go for that clickbait. You know I'm going to go for that SEO search engine optimization. We're going Taylor Swift novelty prop bets all day and all night. I have to do some T-Swift homework figure out the best way to approach that. But that's at DK Network. You can see me on their live shows as well on the weekends. Check out the free articles. The spreadsheets at racefortheprize.com. You know the YouTube channel. You're there. You've subscribed on all the platforms. Spotify, Apple, it's out there. You can find me on Twitter. There's also that at podcast NASCAR account that I will use as well for the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet. Thanks for joining me, guys. Trip of the lights, fantastic.